This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You listen to Bite Size Business Breakfast Best Bits from Monday, November the 7th. Coming up, we talk to Dr. Saida Jaffa of Visa. Dr. Saida was kind enough to join us in studio to talk through some of the new research from Visa showing that 72% of in-shoppers in the UAE said that they are more likely than others to use their smartphones to enhance their shopping experience. Just one of the topics that we discussed with Dr. Saida. Also, we talked all things Twitter, or rather the Twitter storm around the blue tick. Uh, To verify, to not verify, to pay, to not pay. Loads of comments and opinions coming through on the new move from Elon Musk and Twitter to make you have to subscribe for your blue tick. I got the thoughts from Andrew Thomas. Andrew is the MD at Nexa Digital and a social media expert. He gave us his thoughts on the matter. We were also live from COP because Brandy Scott is down there for us throughout the course of this week. COP27 taking place in Egypt, the precursor to COP28 right here in the UAE. And in fact, the DG, the Director General of COP28 UAE is Dr. Majid Al-Sawadi. He's in Egypt to show his support and also throw ahead to COP28. Uh, Brandy caught up with Majid a little earlier. Plus, we talked all things US jobs. Good numbers coming out of the US job market. We got the thoughts of EMBD on that one. Twitter uh, and the wider discussion of tech companies in general were some of the topics of discussion this morning on the Business Breakfast. Let's talk about blue ticks, Thomas. Let's talk about Twitter. Blue ticks on Twitter, why are they such a big deal? They're a big deal because they've caused something of a furore. Once they were a given, now, well, you need to give in order to get. You need to give just shy of $8 a month. Uh, $7.99 is going to be the subscription fee uh, that people need to pay in order to uh, avail Twitter Blue uh, with a checkmark on your account listed among the the perks of paying. It's not just $8 for a tick. It's $8 for Twitter Blue, which gives you access to the tick if you want. So it's something of a sort of system upgrade. It's part and parcel of Elon Musk trying to um, refinance Twitter uh, and make it, as he believes, um, a valuable company. At the moment, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, so does Twitter make money at the moment or not? Ish. It kind of breaks even. On a good quarter, it makes a a few tens of millions of dollars, but it's not a money printing machine like Google and Meta mm. it, or Amazon or Microsoft. It's not in, in that level, but it does break even and it does normally make money or did before Elon bought it. But he thinks he can take it into a money making machine, doesn't he? This is what he had to say. He was speaking on Friday. He made a surprise appearance at an investment conference in New York. No one knew he was going to be there, but he turned up. And this is what he had to say about his thoughts for the future of Twitter. I think there is a tremendous amount of potential um, that it will be very difficult to achieve, but I think possible. Um, and I think ultimately it could be one of the most valuable companies in the world. Ooh, hang on. One of the most valuable companies in the world. Now, if look, if any of us said that, you think it's just, yeah, just nonsense. We're just talking. But he is the world's richest person. So I, I guess he's got a little bit of 
kudos and a little bit of credibility, more than a little bit. He has got credibility. What do you, what do you make of it? Yeah, no, I mean it's it, it's part it's part of what he's trying to do, isn't it? Which is try to turn it from a service into um, a, a money gener- a money generating super app in more more ways than one. Uh, the everything app that he's looking to sort of create at present. Um, what have we ta- what have we heard? Yes, I know there's this big sort of fallout about all things blue ticks. It goes a bit deeper than that. He um, uh, has promised uh, to be coming soon uh, some of the other features, half the number of adverts, the ability to post longer videos, and priority ranking for content posted on the platform. That's all still to come. Uh, all we're dealing with at the moment, though, is just the whirlwind that is Elon Musk. And an Elon Musk takeover of a company comes with all sorts of challenges. Uh, we have seen the dramatic firing of senior executives and the marching of them out of the building. Uh, since then, we've heard um, numbers of uh, stories of a number of uh, Twitter employees um, being fired remotely, but then even more sort of I mean, couldn't get more Elon Musk. Is it that not only are you fired remotely by an email that sort of pops up, but as soon as that email pops up, your laptops have been remotely wiped as well. Uh, and by me, I don't mean the dirty screen or anything like that. Like <laughs> all content comes off it, access frozen, etc. Um, that's that's pretty. Musk-esque, isn't it, at the moment? But there's also reports of people being rehired as consultants straight away. Rehired as consultants. It's It all seems a little bit haphazard and confused at the moment, which isn't in keeping with the Twitter brand, uh, but is, I suppose, in keeping with Musk management. This is Elon talking about the response from advertisers. Of course, that is today how they make most of their money. That's how Google and Facebook made most of their money. Many of them we know or we don't know, reports suggest that many of them have pulled their advertising over the past four or five days or so because of the uncertainty. This was Elon's comment at that conference that he spoke at in New York about advertisers. Major advertisers to stop spending money on Twitter. This is despite us doing everything possible to appease them um, and to make it clear that moderation rules and hateful conduct rules have not changed. This doesn't seem right because... Um, we've made no change in our operations at all, but nonetheless, the activist groups have been successful in, in, in causing a massive drop in Twitter advertising revenue. At Elon Musk. Get more on this throughout the show this morning. Share your thoughts, 4001. Use the ARM Play app. Other stories we're looking at today, we had US jobs numbers out on Friday, and they were strong, 261,000 new jobs. Here's Ed Bell, Senior Market Director, uh, excuse me, Senior Director of Market Economics at Emirates MBD. We had another strong labor market report out from the United States, where the non-farm payrolls uh, increased by 261,000 jobs in October. Now, that did represent the slowest pace of job growth since the end of Q4, but was still well ahead of market expectations, and is, by all accounts, a still pretty robust number, given that a slowdown is in place in the U.S. economy. We also had an acceleration in average hourly earnings, so that increased month-on-month to 0.4%. That's up from 0.3% that it had been at in the last couple of months. There were some signs of cooling, according to a report. So we had the unemployment uh, increase to 3.7%, up from 3.5% a month earlier, as we had a big drop in what's called the household survey. So that's a sort of parallel employment index that the U.S. publishes. 
But all in all, it does look like the U.S. labor market is still in very strong condition and not really fully feeling the impact of the interest rate hikes we've had so far from the Federal Reserve. And that's going to tend to keep the central bank in the U.S. on a hawkish tilt over the next couple of meetings even if it does start to hike at a slower pace going forward. Ed Bell of Emirates MBD. And of course, interest rate rises in the United States will be one of the big stories being debated next week at Abu Dhabi Finance Week Mm. 2022. It's organised by Abu Dhabi Global Market and we are going to be there to bring you all of the big interviews and all of the big stories. You've got some absolute A-listers from the world of finance, not just locally and regionally, but also internationally. C-suite executives, founders, entrepreneurs, they're all going to be there. It will be the first time that the Business Breakfast has been broadcast live from Abu Dhabi, the nation's capital. So join us all next week at Abu Dhabi Finance Week. Now, 11 minutes past seven on the Business Breakfast. Serena Kelly's with us in the studio. Morning, SK. Morning, guys. Can we talk about COVID and last night's press briefing. Yeah, so uh, lifted and amended some COVID-19 safety measures during the UAE government press briefing last night. So when it comes to the al Hosan app, a green pass is no longer required to access public facilities, events and malls. But don't go deleting the app just yet because it is still going to be used to show proof of vaccination or if you do take a, a COVID-19 test, the results will still be connected with your al app. So if you needed to show them inside or outside the country, it is still relevant. Uh, face mask rule that has also been revised. It is now only mandatory in healthcare facilities and hospitals. So before it was optional in all open and closed facilities, but you still needed to wear one on public transport inside a mosque and healthcare facilities. So now that has been amended. Uh, so just make sure you have one when you're visiting a uh, hospital or clinic. few other updates for you. Mosques and prayer facilities, praying on personal mats will be optional. Sporting events and activities, you may still need to present something, be it uh, a negative PCR test or proof of vaccination, because it will be up to the organising bodies at national and local levels to make that call. Uh, Meanwhile, COVID-19 PCR testing and treatment facilities, these will continue to operate in the country and it is still five days isolating for anyone who tests positive. Uh, These measures come into effect today. And just to clarify, the updates have come from the National Emergency Crisis and Disaster Management Authority. It is now up to each emirate, as we know, to announce what they're adopting. Very likely all of these will be adopted. Mainly we are waiting to hear from the authorities in the capital because that is where the Green Pass has been most predominantly used. But it is very likely that these measures will be adopted. Sarita Kelly from the Green Pass to the Blue Tick. You as we have been looking at the blue tick on Twitter. Yes, I heard what you said before. Oh, I may was... have left the studio. I still heard what you said. Like, yeah, you're not creating any any accounts, Richard Dean. Uh, just to recap, if you weren't listening earlier, I hatched a plan. Me and Tom, probably me really, hatched a plan to create a fake account at the real Serena Kelly and pay eight dollars a month to get a blue tick. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that would only be allowed if you actually clearly specified it as a parody because Elon Musk has no said... No worries about that. <laughs> Twitter uses engaging an impersonation without clearly specifying it is a parody account will be permanently suspended without warning. But as you both were discussing earlier, they are delaying the introduction of that monthly subscription charge for the blue ticks. That's r- roughly 30 dirhams. It's going to be bought in after the US midterm elections on Tuesday. Yeah, they are, they are big. In fact, we're going to go big on the uh, midterm elections starting tomorrow. Going to have a lot of US correspondents joining us. And I know you, Serena, and the team are going to be following that one as well. Yeah. And more details on the Aaron News Centre app. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So, Brandy Scott is not here at the moment. She is in Egypt, Thomas Urquhart, is she not? She is at COP27 at the moment. Uh, she and producer Shruti uh, have been uh, have made their way over there over the course of the weekend. COP27 is taking place in Egypt. It's also called the Implementation Summit uh, to apply what was discussed in Glasgow and prepare for the UAE. We'll be hearing from Brandy uh, shortly, who's been in discussion with a number of uh, dignitaries. We're going to be hearing from Dr Majid Al-Sawadi in just a few moments' time. First up, though, let's hear from Weggs. Ever heard of Weggs before this morning, Tom? Not until this morning, no. <laughs> no, he is. Uh, he is an Egyptian rapper. Hmm? He's a musician, and he is top of the Spotify charts in Egypt this morning. He is the guy who Brandy will be listening to in the taxi on the way to COP27 in half an hour's time. Yeah, I'm sure uh, she will. Uh, Brandy and Shrute's been busy already over the course of the weekend. Uh, let's hear from her now. Our very own Brandy Scott's been finding out what we could see out of these high-level discussions in the southern city uh, of Egypt. Dr. Majid Al-Sawadi is the Director General of COP28 UAE uh, and began by asking him why this COP is so important. You know, Egypt is a very important milestone, particularly for us as hosts for COP28, because there are so many decisions that are going to be had at this COP that will have an impact for us. Um, This COP is really about implementation, and the Egyptians have made a really big effort to try to come to outcomes here, particularly for the global south, for many of the poorest countries in the world who are really facing the impacts of climate change today. And it's really uh, important that the world takes steps to address the challenges that they're facing. And that's going to happen, hopefully, at this COP. Okay, well, let's talk about some of those steps. You were at the negotiating table for the the Paris meeting. What needs to happen to make some of those promises, some of those pledges a reality? You know, in Paris, what we were doing was really setting a kind of agenda, a kind of hope to achieve 1.5 degrees. And over the years, we've been really falling short. And what most of these COPs are trying to do are to get us back on track. And we hope that in COP28, we can really start to talk about what are the practical solutions, the really pragmatic things that we can do. And those have to happen on many levels. They have to happen in mitigation. So we need to be addressing the issues of the emissions that we're creating today. Uh, We have to improve our energy efficiency. We have to improve how we use water, how we live in lots of ways to reduce our emissions. But also when it comes to adaptation, as I mentioned, some of the countries like ours, some of the poorest countries in the world are facing the effects of climate change today and we really have to think about how we address those um, concerns and those challenges that those countries are facing. And so the important negotiations that happen here are really setting the tone for how countries are going to move forward to take action to address these global challenges. 
Well, the new chair for UN Climate Change has said that he needs to, or we need to see, the uh, current economic circumstances almost divorced from the negotiations. How much does what we're seeing at the moment, fear of recession, high inflation, colour the negotiations that are going to go on in the next couple of days? I think that everybody knows that we're in a really challenging economic environment and all the forecasts are for even more troubles to come. But that's what makes this conversation much more important. And I think that what you've seen in the UAE is our leadership have really been at the forefront of turning that question around about how can we take the challenge of climate change and make it into an opportunity. As you know, the UAE has been on track for diversifying our economy away from oil and gas. We're an oil and gas producing country. We've built our country off of that and we're proud of that. And we will be for a long time. But our leadership have really taken that step to diversify our economy, to find new jobs for young people, to find new opportunities, new industries. And climate change offers that opportunity by having new green industries, energy efficiency industries, all sorts of different types of new jobs. It can be seen as an opportunity. It doesn't have to be seen as a challenge. You mentioned the Global South there. How much of an impact will the climate change leadership effectively being held by two Arab countries for 24 whole months have on what comes out of not just the negotiations, but the procedures after them? I think what you see in Egypt and the UAE are not just Arab countries. You see countries that understand the issues of the global south. So really, this is great for developing countries. It's great for those countries who want to address climate change, who want to tackle this challenge, but want to do something about it. Often, in some cases, they're unable to. They might have uh, challenges financially or challenges technologically, even capacity. And for Two countries like ours to have this, uh, the custodianship of the COP, if you will, I think it really speaks well for our region, but also for those countries because we can represent them very well. You know, the UAE is a very well-developed country. You know, we live in uh, great cities that uh, um, we have have grown really rapidly, but we, we understand that not long ago we faced those same challenges of de- many developing countries. And so we have a clear sight on the needs of those countries. And, you know, our leadership has really invested in a lot of this. We've, we've spent $50 billion uh, for, uh, in aid support to um, renewable energy for uh, Pacific Islands and de- other developing countries. We have agreements with the U.S. for a mobilization of $100 billion. Um, we have all sorts of renewable energy projects. We're one of the largest investors in renewable energy globally. So really, I think that we speak to those challenges and how to address them. And we know very well how to help a lot of the developing countries who really want to get these technologies, really want to address climate change and really want to do something about this challenge. So this is being called the Implementation COP. Uh, COP28, our COP is being called the uh, Stocktaking COP. How does what's going to happen here lead us into what will happen next in the UAE? Well, the UAE is a really a milestone COP. You know, Paris, the Paris Climate Agreement mandated that there would be a global stock take. This is like a report card of what has happened since Paris. So it's really important. But that doesn't have to only be backward looking. It also should be forward looking. So what's really important about 
our COP is that we set the agenda for the next 5, 10, 15 years of how we can get back on track to achieve 1.5 degrees. And I think that that makes our COP really, really important. And of course, the decisions that are made here in, in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh have uh, a rollover effect or they add to the momentum that helps us to get a successful outcome. And we really are, are supporting our Egyptian uh, brothers and colleagues to have a successful COP. Um, and we think that they're definitely in a great position to do so. That is the voice of Dr. Majid Al-Suedi, Director General of COP28 for the UAE. Of course, COP27 in Egypt this week. But we, selfishly, as the UAE, counted down to COP28 UAE. Speaking with our own Brandy Scott, Thomas. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, as part of, as I said, I didn't realise that COPs had um, taglines, if you like. So this is Implementation COP. And then, what does she say? So we're... Taking stock COP. Yeah. Which, it's, it sounds like a sort of drill bit that you'd find down at, at a hardware store. But uh, no, uh, so yeah, so when we, 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 so the implementation, but again, it's all to do with this turnaround, isn't it? You've got um, pretty quick turnaround when it comes to COPs, and we're talking large policies that need, that will take time to implement. Um, and then, it was Brandy explaining to me last week as well that you have, you have big cop, small cop, don't you? Not bad cop, good cop, or anything like that. But it's uh, this one seems to have been a smaller one, but it doesn't seem that, on, certainly by the guest list they've got over there, that's for sure. It's not that small. No, it's a little bit like iPhone launches. One year that's you get right, a yeah. minor update. Yeah. Next year you get a big new iPhone. Yeah. TikTok. Yeah, exactly that. But it seems to be big news this year, that's for sure. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So, Twitter, discuss. Uh, there we are. Uh, that's all you basically need to say these days, and you get an opinion or two. Twitter has started giving users who sign up for $8 a month verify blue tick checkmark uh, days after Elon Musk floated the idea of this new verification system. Power to the people! Twitter said in the version notes of its latest update that was released over the course of the weekend, Saturday I think it was, your account will get a blue check mark, just like the celebrities, the companies and the politicians you already follow. Um, is this good for the brand? Where does, what does this tell us about the brand and the company and the way it's moving forward? Let's find out now uh, from the Managing Director of Nexa Digital, uh, a metaverse and social media expert, Andrew Thomas, who joins us live on the line and happy to say live on Microsoft Teams as well. Morning, Andrew. Morning, gang. How are you doing? We're good. Power to the people to you this morning, uh, Andrew. Um, Right, where do we start with Twitter? Let's start with the blue tick. So, um, not everybody is convinced that they now have to pay, uh, convinced with the policy of having to pay for their blue tick. Uh, is there is there method behind the madness? Yeah, I, I think um, I think the move is bold, obviously, but I think it's a, a move in the right direction. I think this is the first step to uh, actually creating Twitter as a product as opposed to us, the individuals, the user being products. So by starting to generate revenue, um, you know, in, in, in different ways, um, we, we start to become not the, the product anymore, right? Uh, currently, Twitter relies solely on advertising revenue. Um, and, and from what we've seen over the last, mm, I don't know, 24 hours, 
the way that certain companies and certain individuals got those blue ticks anyway uh, was sometimes a bit dubious. It wasn't always, you know, straight down the line. So I think having the ability to 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 kind of now monetize uh, something that that uh, can be verified, I think is 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 good. I think the verification piece is is obviously key. Um, he tweeted. About three hours ago, you probably seen Twitter needs to become by far the most accurate source of information about the world. That's our mission. Um, let's see. I think uh, that's that's a big challenge or a bold statement. <laughs> Work in progress, as they say. Okay, uh, good to hear a voice of reason like yours on this. Yeah, it does make sense. So, why are people getting so angry about this move? I think um, I think it, it possibly um, obviously. People don't like change, um, and and I also think that he's quite a, a polarizing individual. So he's an individual that obviously we've seen him very publicly uh, be uh, be be open about certain topics. Um, and I think that what what's happened is it's more about the man uh, than the product at this moment. I think once people start to kind of settle down, um, you know, they'll start to realize that actually um, this could be a potentially good thing. He's already kind of making changes to the platform itself as well, trying to improve the user experience. Um, you know, he's an active Twitter user anyway, as we know. So I, I think it's more about, you know, at the moment, the focus is too much on the man versus the, the products. Now, how they'll be able to, you know, kind of change that over time is, is another thing. But I think at the moment still, you know, and I look, there's some individuals that did pay potentially $25,000 to get that blue tick. <laughs> so they might be a bit, bit angry. <laughs> We can, we uh, we do see. Obviously, the tick is getting a lot of the headlines at the moment. But yeah. you know, there are other things that have been announced over the weekend. We've heard that he's made a promise to halve the number of ads that subscribers will see. That's coming soon at the moment. Also, the ability to post longer videos, get priority ranking in replies. Uh, all good moves. I, I think it's about evolving the the, the product itself. You know, I, I think again. If if we if you try and understand the reasoning behind it, I don't think that he's just putting his finger in the air and saying, "Okay, let's do this, let's do that." I think he is using the platform to get feedback. I think he is, you know, trying to evolve the platform. And also, ultimately, this still has the ability to track user behavior. Right? Let's understand that. So some of these changes will be coming around based on the way that people are using the platform. I don't think it's a blind, uh, you know, kind of dive in. Okay, let's talk uh, job losses if we can. Uh, again, I can't. I've got a, an accurate figure. Anything from a couple of thousand to nearly half of the staff are, are figures being mentioned at the moment. Uh, we know that the top managers uh, have been fired. We know that uh, other members of Twitter or other uh, Twitter employees have been fired across um, all sort of indices and areas. Um, is this needed for Twitter at the moment? Is it going about it the wrong way? Yes. <laughs> It's a weighty question. Thanks, uh, Tom. Um, I think <laughs> he said that obviously it's based on a $4 million loss a day at the moment. Um, it seems like a bit of a big scythe. Um, but but ultimately, um, if you if you kind of again see it, hear the Twitter noises over the last 48 hours, they're already going about and, and looking to potentially rehire some of the engineers that, that were lost. Um, you know, I think it, it would be uh, a miss for me to comment on on the financials of a of a global organization such as that but obviously i mean if he's directly correlating a loss and he's got to start the hemorrhaging so introducing new products um you know and looking at looking at downsizing he's not the only organization at the moment especially in the us uh, and as you mentioned in the tech space that that's making uh you know these kind of difficult decisions at the moment 
Yeah, I mean, I was wanted to ask you about that because obviously one of our headlines this morning is Facebook reportedly the latest big tech company to cut staff as well. Is this part of a sort of trend? Is this part of those those market pressures that a lot of these tech companies are finding themselves under? I think pressures. I think with Meta, obviously, the, the man at the top has gone all in into the metaverse, and I don't think his investors are particularly overly happy about that. Um, but But I think you're going to start to see, you know, waves of this at the moment i mean uh you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of choice as well uh for for kind of employers at the moment uh especially in that tech space there's there's new startups there's new projects um there's new opportunities so um in fact the the rise of the employer branding uh you know uh, company is huge at the moment in the us where they're actively encouraging you to come and join their organization so i think you're going to see a lot of movement for sure and yet we've also been talking about that interbrands um list that was launched a little bit earlier today or over the course of the weekend top five recognized and most monetized brands around the world are tech brands at the moment so despite those market pressures etc tech still holds on to that sort of brand value doesn't it yeah, I mean, look at look at the way we're communicating, Tom. Right? I think you know the the fact is that the the every single one of us touches tech during the course of the day. Um, it's really difficult to to have any kind of uh, social or work. Uh, non-tech interaction now right so i think when something is so ingrained in our daily lives you know it becomes recognizable and there's there's that recall from the brand perspective so everyone kind of you know touches touches tech as it were final question from me you might as well go out with another big one for you as well this morning andrew it's a monday morning after all are you worried about twitter no i i'd say that i think if you if you look at potentially the reason why he, he invested it in the first place as trying to kind of make it this decentralized environment that, that even, you know, the original founder, Jack Dorsey, had, had kind of spoken about that and the movement in the new kind of Web3 space. Um, I think I think that it's 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 actually quite exciting. Um, and I don't mean to diminish anyone's obviously, uh, you know, uh, troubles that they've had over the last 72 hours. I think the only thing is that, again, Elon Musk is a very polarizing figure, but I mean, you have to say he 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 is a bit of a bulldozer, but he does get the job done. If you look at the other kind of ventures that he's currently involved in, Andrew, really appreciate your time this morning and a Monday morning as well. Andrew Thomas, the managing director of Nexa Digital, a metaverse and social media expert, and in honour of him. Because that was some beard our last guest was sporting, and we salute him for that. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiI1038.com. We are shopping because we've got some new research out from Visa joining us in the studio to share the findings. Is the Senior Vice President, Group Country Manager for the GCC at Visa, Dr. Saida Jaffa, friend of the Business Breakfast. Saida, good morning. Thank you. Great to be here. So you've done some new research on shopping habits. What have you learned? Very interesting outcomes, actually. What we are seeing is that the UAE customers or consumers are probably the most mobile-centric consumers that we see across all the different countries that we have uh, surveyed. And we've surveyed six different countries. So 
in a nutshell, the UAE consumers are the ones that are most likely to not only use their mobile phones to purchase end to end, but also if they are in the malls or in a face-to-face environment, they're also the ones that are most likely to use that to enhance that experience. Almost 50% more likely than any other consumers anywhere else in the world. Okay, so it's not just that we're buying on our smartphones, but even if we're in, well, we're in Media City now, so Mall of the Emirates is over there. If we're walking around, we're looking on our phone, checking out, I don't know, smartphones or a pair of jeans or whatever it may be. Absolutely. So 60% of consumers that shop face-to-face or in person, 60% actually say that they use their smartphones to enhance their shopping experience. So these could be things like, you know, you walk into a consumer electronics store and you say, hey, I kind of like this, but can I get it cheaper somewhere else? And then boom, pull out your smartphone and you have a quick look. Or you say, I like that piece of furniture. You know, I wonder what the specific dimensions are and how it would look and if there's something else like it. Boom, pull it out, look up the product specs. So exactly, six out of 10 people who are actually physically shopping do this well you, cl- you clearly didn't speak to tom urquhart in this survey because tom basically you go to the same three <laughs> shops every six months and buy four new white shirts and a new pair of chinos yeah Listen, just early adoption and tom just don't go hand in hand i'll get around to it one day don't worry it's fine <laughs> he's got an iphone 14 that his family bought it for his birthday he hasn't taken it out of the box oh, yet <laughs> but but you know the, the, our generation joking apart dr saida is not necessarily i would imagine the focus of this when you drill down into the data and you look at how different generations gen x and gen z gen y whatever it may be millennials what differences do you see in how people shop between different age groups sure so look again uh, you're absolutely right the younger generations the millennials the gen z's tend to be more savvy more savvy than perhaps some of the older generations. But you'd be surprised, even our generation and perhaps even slightly above our generation, they are very, very, very savvy with their phones and they will use their phones wherever and however they they want to. What's also interesting is that we see that the younger generation tends to like some of the more innovative products as well. So not only physical products that they're buying, but also the financial products. So they will use installments, et cetera, to buy and buy a bit more. They like the visibility. But for sure, we see usage across the different uh, generations. What does that mean for a company like Visa, a payments company? Absolutely. If anything. Look, we love innovation. Visa is absolutely built on innovation. We're the world's first fintech. So we like to enable that's innovation. A bit, that's a bold comment. <laughs> we are actually. We were established in the 50s and we are the world's first fintech. Uh, or we like to think so. Um, and for us, innovation is fundamental to what we do and frankly to what, how we like to operate. Um, so something like installments is something we are very, it's absolutely top of mind for us. And we are very actively trying to make sure that every single visa credential has some kind of an installment feature enabled on it. So that, That's interesting because the BNLP, the buy now, pay later yes. thing, is interesting. Yes, BNPL. So BNPL, the way I, what I would think about it is think of it as two separate things. BNPL is an organization of fintech, right, that is trying a new product, which mm-hmm. is installments, but equally, it's also a product which is installments. 
And not only fintechs need to offer that, banks can equally offer it and vice versa, right? So almost think of it as two separate things. There's an organization, which is a fintech, but equally there is a product, which is an installments product, which has existed in the market for a very long time. Dr. Saida, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, it's not been a massive effort for you. How far did you have to walk? <laughs> About 100, 100 meters? Because the visa headquarters. <laughs> Tom's looking. About 30 steps. <laughs> it's about 30 steps. But I was thinking about this this morning because the visa headquarters, the new, it's newish, been around for a year or so now, is about, what, 100 meters, Tom, uh, from us in Media City? Yeah, less. But I was thinking, actually, you're in Media City. We're in Knowledge Park. Did you need to bring your passport, Dr. Saida, this morning to, 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 to go from Media City to the large park? Uh, no, but joking apart, what I'm going to ask you about is um, I, I can't let you go without asking you about this. Of course, it's the World Cup is coming up in Qatar very, very shortly. We know that you guys, Visa, are very involved in that. Um, I'm not going to ask you to reveal state secrets, but it must be a busy time. <laughs> For so many companies in Dubai, the, 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 the FIFA World Cup is um, looming large on the horizon. Absolutely. Look, this is an incredibly exciting time for us. And I think what makes it even more exciting is that it's the first time it's in this part of the world. And it's the first World Cup after COVID. So it is absolutely exciting. We are looking forward to kicking off on November 20th. We're looking forward to a phenomenal game. Football, sports are something that are very near and very dear to our heart because it, it, it resonates with us and it resonates with our purpose as an organization. Yeah, and, and as a proud Emirati as well. I mean, football is just so much part of the culture, isn't it? Absolutely. absolutely. What, what tickets have you got? <laughs> oh, Oh, well, I look forward to being there with our clients. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Saida Jaffa, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Dr. Saida Jaffa is Senior Vice President, Group Country Manager for the GCC at Visa, sharing the findings of their latest consumer research. Appreciate your time. Shukran Jazilan. Thank you very much. Great being here. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.